Well, good morning, Chevrolet Baptist Church. It is so, well, there you go, good job. Capitol Hill normally is, you know, just kind of quiet. You guys are more lively, you know, anyway. So good to be with you today. Uh, as Jonathan mentioned, my name is Ben Lacey. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Been there for two and a half years. And as he mentioned, uh, Lord willing, we will move uh, to Fort Worth, Texas in January uh, to plant a church in South Fort Worth. And uh, honestly, in so many ways, your church is going to be a template for us for how to do this. Uh, your church has been a blessing to, to me in so many ways, have always enjoyed the time that I get to be with you, and I'm super thankful for, for all of your pastors and the relationships I have with them. So thank you for the opportunity to come and open God's Word with you this morning. And if you do have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to go ahead and grab them and turn to the book of Numbers. Uh, the Bible's provided, it's on page 119, uh, so the book of Numbers. Now I know what many of you are thinking, bro, you're a guest preacher and you're preaching from Numbers. And I'm here to tell you that, that God has heard the cries of the incomplete Bible reading plans each year, and uh, judgment has come. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I found this to be a huge blessing to me in my own personal study. I think we can learn about, a lot about God and ourselves as we study this, and that's my, my prayer for us today. And as you turn there, I have a question that I want you to consider this morning. Have you ever made the right decision and it later felt wrong? You ever made the right decision and it later felt wrong? This was my experience when Megan and I first bought our, our first house when we got married in Texas. We were looking at the numbers. It made more sense to buy a house than to rent. And so we've been looking forever. We finally got the house. They accepted our offer. We were so excited until the day that you go to closing. Uh, and so we went and, and we were in the, the room where they, they, they bring in all these wonderful snacks and drinks and they, they load you up and fill you up so you feel good. And they bring in a stack of papers that are like the size of this podium, huge and the cold sweats began to sink in there. And uh, what made me most nervous is when they turned to the page where it's like, this is what you'll pay over time if you stay inside this mortgage. And I began to dry heave in the moment, realizing this is gonna be very, very expensive. But have you ever found yourself there that you've made the right decision and it later felt wrong? Maybe for you, it's with your career. You, you chose a job that you thought would make your life easier, and it's only made your life harder. You pray to, to get married or have those kids. You thought it would be a, a, a wonderful blessing, but now they feel like they've become burdens. Or maybe for you as a, a church that was planted out of Capitol Hill, you thought this is gonna be so easy and fun, and there's been more challenges than you'd anticipated. Or simply, maybe it's the fact that you've, you're grateful that you chose to follow Jesus, but it's been far more costly than you anticipated. Fighting your sin has been way more exhausted, exhausting than you could have ever imagined. You feel like you're running after God, and it feels like he's running away from you. You'd be honest today, maybe for you, following God has been very hard. So what do you do? What do you do when following God is hard? I think that the answers to that question are at the heart of our passage this morning, Numbers chapter 11. And to give some context before we jump in and read our passage this morning, Numbers 11 is the fourth book in the Pentateuch. This is the law. It's what Moses wrote for the people as they were leaving Egypt and going to live in the land that God had promised them for how they were to live as his people and worship and display his nature and character in the world. And really, Genesis is teaching us how God created the world and how we were supposed to, as humans, live and glorify God in all things. And yet, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled and rejected God, and they were separated from God. And the rest of the Bible is simply trying to answer the question, what will happen to God's people, and will and how will they ever dwell with God again? 
And really, that's at the heart of the book of Numbers. We see in uh, Exodus, God gives them the law, and Leviticus, that continues on, and that starts here in Numbers. And then in Numbers 10, they begin to finally journey away from Sinai. So from Exodus 19 to Numbers 10.10, Israel has been camped out at Sinai for about a year. And now finally, the people get to leave Sinai, and they're going to receive the land that God had promised them. I mean, you can see this in Numbers 10, 11. If you have your Bibles, just look there real quick. It says this, In the second year, in the second month, in the twelfth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled down in the wilderness, uh, in the wilderness of Paran. And they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. I mean, how exciting. They'd been in bondage and in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. God finally redeems them, and now he's giving them the promised land that they'd heard about their whole lives. But we'll find that even though you see these miraculous things that Egypt, or, uh, Israel experienced in Egypt, following God would still be extremely hard for them. There's four things I think we're going to see in this passage that we should do when following God is hard. First thing is this, don't grumble. Don't grumble. That's going to be verses 1 through 9. Second thing is pray honestly. That's verses 10 through 15. The third thing is trust God's word, verses 16 through 23. And the fourth thing is remember God's provision. Remember God's provision. That's going to be verses 24 through 35. Let's look at our first point this morning. Don't grumble. We'll see this in verses one through nine. So look at your Bibles now as we start to read. This is what the Holy Spirit wrote and inspired Moses to write here in verse one, starting in verse one. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again, saying, and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the the onions, and the garlic. But now, our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedallium. The people went about and gathered uh, gathered it and ground it in handmills, or beat it into mortars and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like that of of taste of uh, baked cakes baked with oil when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, and the manna fell with it. So we see here the people are are journeying out. They're starting towards the promised land. And what does it say happened in verse 1? And the people complained. It's like they're on the family vacation road trip. They just got on 395, and the kids are yelling, are we there yet? They begin to complain about their misfortunes. What What were their misfortunes? What were they complaining about? Well, they, they didn't like the food that they were getting. I mean, what, what could, have, could have been so wrong at this point? They're, they're seeing God visibly move and go before them and find resting places for them before they, they go into the land. But it said the rabble among them, which is those people who had come out of Egypt who were not Israelites, began to complain about the food that they, 
they used to have. And honestly, if you go back and read kind of Exodus 14 and kind of compare these two places, it sounds very similar. Their attitude leaving Sinai sounds very similar to their attitude arriving to Sinai. We see in Exodus 14, God miraculously delivers them. Exodus 15, they sing and rejoice. In Exodus 16, we see this in verse two and three, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Sounds almost identical to where they are now. But how does the Lord respond there? With his mercy. He gives them quail and he gives them manna to eat. So again, what are the people complaining about? Well, it's not that God had not provided. He had just not provided the diversity in their diets that they had wanted. And their entitlement is deafening. I mean, imagine this. Imagine your family is on Capitol Hill and you see me exhausted right after a run, which is typically how I am right after a run. And I look at you and I ask if you have anything to drink. And you happen to have an unopened bottle of water and you hand it to me and I look kind of disgusted. And I ask, no Pellegrino? No, no Topo Chico? No LaCroix? You would look at me and be shocked by my entitlement. You would quickly realize that I have a greater problem than my thirst. That was the problem with Israel here. Their problem wasn't their hunger. The problem was their hearts. Ultimately, their, their hearts were revealing their true God. They had rejected all that God was for them, and all that God had provided for them. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear this today. When we grumble, we are simply saying that God no longer is enough for us, that all that he has given us and all that he is for us is no longer enough for us, that we need something better, something greater to satisfy our hearts than the Lord. Beverly Baptist Church, can you imagine a situation where God would no longer be enough for you? What affliction or trial or suffering would cause you to grumble against God? This is the, where we need to hear and heed this warning today. For until we die or Christ returns, the temptation to be like Israel here will always be crouching at our door. Until we are with the Lord, there will always be a little grumbling ember in our hearts. And if we are not careful, the right wind will blow upon it and make it a full flame of discontentment in the Lord and all of his provisions. So how now are you preparing for future trials that will come tempt you to reject God and his provisions? I mean, isn't this the warning that the author of Hebrews is writing to the first century Christians? In Hebrews 3, he says this, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chevrolet Baptist Church, this is why God has given you to one another to watch out and care for one another so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why you have the, the church covenant to remind each other. I assume that you'll recite at some point this week if you take the Lord's Supper at some point. To remind each other, we're supposed to watch over one another and make sure that we're not led away to grumble against the Lord and all that he's done for us and all that he is for us. This was Israel's problem. They were blinded by their unbelief and their covetous hearts. 
God might have pulled them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still deep in their hearts. The first thing, when following God is hard, we need to remember that we should not grumble. Verses 10 through 15 will teach us that we should pray honestly. Pray honestly. Let's look there now in our Bibles, verses 10 through 15 of chapter 11. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why and why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. For if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Now this may be one of the most honest and raw prayers in all the Bible. That Moses hears the people, and it isn't just displeasing, it's an evil thing to him. I mean, this is a, a baffling and honest prayer. Moses says, why, why have you done this to me, Lord? I'm, I'm your servant, I've been nothing but faithful, and then you give me this people, and I cannot carry this burden alone. Why would you do this to me? And his response is simply, it'd be better for me to die than to continue to go on. How exciting to head towards God's promised land, and yet the people rebel. And look how how bleak the situation is. The the man who's supposed to represent the people to God has basically put in his two weeks' notice. I can no longer carry this burden alone. It's too much for me. Brothers and sisters, when, when life gets hard as a Christian, when temptation and trial feels heavy, Find this encouragement that Christ will never quit on you. There's not been a moment in your Christian life or my Christian life where where Christ hurt us in our most weak and vulnerable state and he looked at the Father and said, I'm done. Christ will never quit on his own. If you're weak and heavy laden today, find comfort in 1 John 2.1. John wrote, I I write these things to you that you, you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, they have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. Moses, exhausted, burned out. Now the natural question arises, what's the difference between what Israel was doing earlier and what Moses is doing? Is God just giving Moses special privilege because he's in leadership? No, I I think actually Moses is lamenting. I don't think he's grumbling. I'm gonna give you four reasons why I think Moses is lamenting and not grumbling. Uh, The first thing is this. Moses' honesty was to God. Moses' honesty was to God. Notice how Israel responds to their trials. They complain not to the Lord, but to each other. I mean, if you see this in, in verse 10, it says that they were, there was weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of their tent. They're they're weeping and and groaning towards one another, not to the Lord. But where does Moses go? He goes to the Lord. Moses shows us if misery loves 
company, then godly sorrow loves prayer. Misery loves company, godly sorrow loves prayer. Moses doesn't go to Joshua and moan about his circumstances or how hard God had been on him. No, he goes directly to God with his concerns. The second thing is this, Moses acknowledged God's sovereignty. I mean, look at the content of Moses' prayer. He's saying, God, you're in control and you can do all things. You're the one who created this people. You're the one that can sustain this people. At, at the heart of a godly prayer of a lament is a recognition that we are weak and frail, but God is not. Lament is simply saying, God, we know you're willing and able to do something about our circumstances. That's why Moses goes to the Lord. But notice what Israel does. Where does grumbling Israel go in their distress? They go to the Lord? No, they go to back to Egypt in their hearts. Their problems are so great and so significant that the Lord God cannot save them. They must go back to Egypt to find comfort and refuge. The third thing is this. Moses acknowledged his own failings. Moses acknowledged his own failings. Look at Israel. There is no acknowledgement of their own weakness, but only complaint that they lack what they want. There's never a moment with Israel here where they say, Lord, we, we know we're hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people. We know we're difficult to deal with. Can you just help us through this moment? No, only demands, never confession. Only demands from the Lord, and there's never any confession. Contrast that with Moses in his prayer in verse 14. Moses says, I can't do this, God. I'm weak and frail. There's nothing that I can do. Honest prayer should always recognize and acknowledge that we are weak and frail without the Lord, that we are helpless and hopeless unless he shows up. And the fourth thing is this. Moses petitioned God to act. Moses petitioned God to act. With Israel, there's no petition of the Lord, only complaints of God that he's not provided for them. The only time they cry out is in this passage is in earlier parts of the passage in Numbers 11 where they're, they're complaining and God sends out a fire, a warning. But even then, they don't cry out to the Lord, they cry out to Moses. And here we see Moses' petition. Now there's one explicit petition. Moses says, Lord killed me now. Now I'm not Moses, but I'm like, bold move, my man. But here, however, there's an implicit petition in verse 14. Moses' confession is his petition. He's saying, Lord, I can't do this. He's declaring his own inadequacy, and he's petitioning the Lord to act. God, do something. Moses shows us that in times of distress and affliction that God is trustworthy to handle our requests. God is trustworthy and near, and he's faithful that we can bring even the most hardest thoughts and Difficult questions to him. This is the model of lament throughout the Bible. We see this in Psalm 13. This is what David writes. This is a great example. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Church, God never promised us for the Christian life to be easy. It'll be hard and difficult along the way. Trials and tribulations will come. They are unavoidable. But God is faithful, and he hears our prayers, and we should lean on him in honest prayer. So regardless of what affliction and trial you're going through right now, turn to the Lord. Have you considered that, that God might be sending trials to you so that you might run to him, so that you might lean on him? Maybe you're here and you're struggling with that same besetting sin and it feels like you cannot get victory over it. You can't do this on your own, but you can by taking it to the Lord in prayer. I love the hymn, oh, oh, what peace we often forfeit. 
Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. The church, when following God is hard, go to God honestly in prayer. He longs to hear our prayers and he's eager to act. When following God is hard, the next thing we should do is trust God's word. Trust God's word. We see this in verses 16 through 23. We'll sit there now. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down, and I will talk with you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but the whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said to the people among, uh, but Moses said, the people among whom I number 600,000 on foot and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. First, let's just see this. The Lord, how does the Lord respond to Moses' lament? He accepts it. He doesn't reject it. He doesn't rebuke Moses. God isn't annoyed with his burdens that he brings to him. God responds, God hears. God loves Moses and wants to comfort him in his distress. The Lord tells him to go get the 70 elders and bring them to him, that he's gonna put some of the spirit upon them so that he can help carry some of the burdens of the people. Now, we don't fully know where all these elders come from. We see in Exodus chapter three that when God redeems, when God first speaks to Moses, there's already elders there. We see that when when God invites uh, Israel to come up on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, there's 70 elders that God brings up. And this is different than Exodus 18 where where, where uh, Jethro sees Moses burdened by caring for the people and provides men to help carry out the administrative needs. Now, the primary concern that God has is the shepherding needs of the people. What Moses needs help with is not the administration, but the spiritual needs of the people. And so God says, I will give you more of the Spirit upon them to help carry the burdens of the people. Church, I would encourage you, pray often and regularly for your elders. Pray that God would raise up more elders to carry the burdens of this people Uh, so that they might grow in their love and affection and faithfulness towards God. God not only responds to Moses, he also responds to the people here with the craving. You see in verse 18, God tells Moses to tell the people to purify themselves for he's gonna come down tomorrow. Now, I don't know if you had this experience growing up, but when I would uh, get out of school for the summer, it was the best time of my life. It was amazing, I was living my best life. I had two older sisters, we're having fun all the day long, we'd be home with my mom, she'd be greatly annoyed with us, primarily me, and she would warn me several times to stop doing certain things. Half the time, I wouldn't hear it. But she had kind of this one last card to play, which would end the whole matter. She would patiently look at me and say, okay, just wait till your dad gets home. 
And I would immediately put on my sackcloth and ashes and begin to weep and to wail because I knew that judgment was coming. Like it was the end of the matter. And Moses saying this to the people is basically saying, wait till your dad gets home. He has come down. He's heard the grumbling and the complaining. He will bring discipline and judgment upon you. God tells them that he will provide for their craving, that they so desired. But look what the Lord says here. It doesn't simply say, I'll give you what you want. He says, you'll have it not just one day or two days or five days or 20, but a whole month, so much so that it'll be coming out of your nostrils. God says, you, you want to reject me? I will give you what you desire, and it will not satisfy your heart. It will not satisfy you. They were craving this meat, but simply what they were craving was to be slaves back in Egypt again. God had delivered them from bondage, and they longed to be back in bondage again. To those here who are not Christians, we're so thankful that you're here. I'm not one of the pastors, but I'm certain they're super. This church is very grateful you're here. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian. But my question for you to consider is, have you found anything in this life that brings lasting peace, satisfaction, and joy? Have you found anything that brings those lasting peace, satisfaction, and joy? The full disclosure that the Bible teaches that the world is filled with a lot of good things, but all the good things that we experience are broken things. See, before our, our first parents fell, the world was perfect. We could dwell with God and, and walk with him, but because Adam and Eve rejected, we live in a broken world, and so man longs for the greatest thing, but we're a contradiction and settles for the lesser things. There was a, a famous theologian named Herman Bovink who simply said this, that man is an enigma whose solution can only be found in God. St. Augustine said, our, our hearts cannot rest until we find rest in God. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're searching for answers of how to find satisfaction and joy in this life, you will not find it in this world apart from Jesus Christ alone. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus and how to find this true joy, true rest, and true satisfaction. So naturally, you would assume that, that Moses hears God's prayer or God's response, and he's excited. Man, the Lord is going to provide. That's not what happens. You notice, if you look down in your Bible, Moses' response Verse 21, he says, the people whom I number are 600,000 on foot and have, and you've said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Not only is Moses doubting, can Moses lead the people? He has now been corrupted by the people and doubts if God can actually provide for the people. Brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives that it is better to sit in silence than speak and sin against God better to sit in silence and speak and sin against God. That's what Amos 5 says, verse 13. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Moses was among an evil people, and he had embraced their attitude in a moment, and he sins against the Lord. And do you notice what the Lord says in verse 23? The Lord asks an interesting question. He says, is, is the Lord's hand shortened? My, is my hand shortened? Kind of an odd question because we, we know that the Bible teaches about God that he's without body or parts. You see, in God here, he's not asking a question to learn. He's asking a question to reveal. God is communicating here with kind of human characteristics so we better understand him. And he's simply saying, have I lost my ability to save? Have I, have I lost my ability to sustain my people to the end? And simply, God is asking these questions to Moses to reveal how ignorant Moses has become. God is... His hand has not been shortened. God is simply basically reminding him and saying, Moses, have you forgotten all that I've done for you? 
Have you forgotten the, the song that you wrote in Exodus 15 when you said, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. The Lord was trying to expose to Moses that he had been corrupted by the people. God's hand had not been shortened, and God soon would prove that to be true. The church, how are you tempted? In what ways are you tempted to doubt the promises of God? What anxieties in your life are tempting you to believe that God is not faithful to his promises? Maybe it's perseverance. You look at your past sins and present struggles and you think, I don't know if God can keep me to the end. I don't know if he can sustain me. Maybe it's the problem of evil in the world and you're just overwhelmed by the, the shootings and the wars and the threats and all the things that are going on and you're just thinking, I don't, I don't know how God will finally bring judgment. I don't know what doubts you bring today, but I can simply say, Here, here's the solution to your problem. Look to Jesus for all the promises of God find their yes in him. If you're struggling with your own assurance of salvation and perseverance, look to Jesus and you realize that in the cross, in his resurrection, he has purchased the salvation for all who would believe, and he would not lose a single one. You look to the cross and you see that, realize that, that God has brought justice and he will bring justice once and for all when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. So when following God is hard, for us as believers, look to Jesus and realize that God is faithful to his promise and he will keep us unto the end. Moses had been overcome by his emotion, and his vision was distorted. He was no longer trusting God's word, but trusting how he felt. Brothers and sisters, God's word is far more trustworthy than how you feel. God's word is far more trustworthy. It's a better foundation than what we see or what we feel. It will always prove true. So when following God is hard, let's trust his word and know that he's faithful to his promises. Our, my last point, our last point this morning is in verses 24 through 35, which is this. When following God is hard, remember God's provision. Remember God's provision. Look at verses 24 through 35 now. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 of the men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad, another, another named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. And there, uh, they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all that the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's, a day's journey on the side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp, about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was yet between their teeth, 
before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of the place is called Kibroth of Teva, because they were buried, they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth of Teva, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. We see here that God is faithful to his promise. There's two things that we actually see here in, in God's faithfulness to his promise and how we can remember God's provision. One, we see the gift of God's spirit. And secondly, we see the message in God's judgment. Let's look at the gift of God's spirit. We see this in verses 24 through 30. Though he had his doubts, Moses obeys God and he brings the elders around the tent and God in his mercy takes some of the spirit that's on Moses and he supplies it to these 70 elders. Now whose spirit was it? Was it Moses' spirit? No, it was the Holy Spirit. He places it on them and they begin to prophesy. What does it mean that they were prophesying? I have no idea. Looked it up, I couldn't figure it out. This is the only time this Hebrew word is used in the Pentateuch. But basically it was something to identify that they had God's message and they had the authority to speak to God's people. But they, but they stop. However, Moses records that there's two other elders that were in the camp that kept on prophesying. You notice that Joshua does? He runs and out of loyalty to Moses says, make them stop. But did you notice Moses' response in verse 29? He says, Joshua, are you, are you jealous for my sake? Are you jealous that, that I am able to speak to the people on behalf of God? Moses then instructs Joshua, brother, their greatest need is not their food, it's the, lack, the fact they lack the spirit of God. Moses recognized that they needed more people to have the spirit of God to follow God faithfully to the end. They didn't need more diversity in the diet, they needed God's spirit. Does this not sound familiar? Does it, Moses, hopeful and wishful thinking, does it not sound familiar that something that would follow throughout the scripture, we see this in Joel 2, 28 and 29, that they would coming when God would pour out his spirit upon all people? When, when would he do it? Well, Acts chapter two. You can see this in Acts two, verses two, uh, two through four. This is what Luke writes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing, rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What Moses longed to see, God would later fulfill after Christ ascended. Brothers and sisters, when following God is hard, rejoice that God has given you his spirit. And not only you his spirit, he's given you a spirit-filled community to encourage you and walk alongside you as you journey towards heaven. How amazing what Moses longed to see, we get to experience every single day as a church. Every time we gather, we get to live out what Moses had hoped for, for Israel. This is why we wanna pray that, that we would continue to maintain the unity of the spirit. We already have the unity. God has given us all his spirit as believers. We want to rejoice in that and seek to maintain that unity as a church. Here in Numbers 11, God pours out his spirit on all these people to carry the burden, these 70 elders, to carry the burden of Israel. Not only that, we see that, that God, he also provides the quail. And there's a message in the provision. We see this in verse 31 through 35. We see in these verses, the Lord does what he promises. He gives them what they wanted and more than what they had anticipated. But do you notice where the quail fell? You can look and see this in verse 31, that the, the wind springs up and it falls outside the camp. Notice in Numbers 5 earlier that those who were unclean were sent outside the camp, not inside the camp. And it so, it so much fell that it was basically three feet high. 
And it says the, the people gathered six homers, which is basically 58 gallons of quail. They had more than they had anticipated. The Lord's hand had clearly not been shortened. He had given what he had promised to provide, but they had fallen outside the camp. But you notice something earlier in verse six, that it says that their strength was dried up, that they couldn't do anything. But yet, for, in verse 32, we see they gathered all day on one day and all day the next day. That when it came to their own sinful passions, they have enough energy to do what they wanted to do. Plenty of energy to go and fulfill their covetous desires. See what happens. They, they finally, in verse 32, we see that they, they go and they gather all their food. They, they gleefully sit down to, to feast on the fruit of their labors to satisfy their covenant cravings. And the Lord finally lets them taste what it's like to reject him. Moses says, while the meat was yet between their teeth, the Lord struck them down with a plague. To choose to reject the Lord is to choose death itself. That's what the people had chosen for themselves. It says that there were so many people they buried, they called the place Kibroth Hateva, which means the grave of craving. This name was to be a reminder and a warning to all people. If you reject the Lord, you choose death itself. What is the Lord saying in all this? What is the message that God is sending to all of Israel in that moment and to all of us? That unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That if you reject the Lord, it is to choose death itself. So if you follow the Lord faithful, you will live, but to reject the Lord is to basically say, I would rather die and be in bondage again. I don't know where you are today, but turn to the Lord and trust him, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. Continue to walk in faithfulness and obedience towards him. This is a message to all people. It's God's mercy. And when we see God's judgment fall in scripture, it's his mercy towards the rest of us as a lesson to turn to him and to live. I mean, this is exactly what's happening in the cross of Christ, that God's judgment fell on Jesus so that we would not experience God's judgment. It's a warning to to turn from our sins and to live. Christ Jesus took the grave of craving, if you will. He took the punishment we deserve for our sins and was raised from the dead that those who turn from their sins and trust in him will find life and will make it to that promised land. Turn to Christ and live, even when it's hard, even when it's costly. Turn to Jesus and live. At the beginning of our time together, I asked you the question, have you ever made the right decision and it later felt wrong? Following Jesus is always the right thing, but it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. God never promised us that we'll have an easy path forward in this life. No, Jesus says the opposite, that following me will be the most costly thing you've ever done. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. So difficult is the way ahead. God has not left us alone. He calls us to himself and he promises to sustain him, sustain us to himself to the end. I don't know where you find yourself today, but turn to Christ and live each day. Continue to pursue him until the end and know that he is faithful to his promise, that he has given you means to sustain you and that following God in the end will be far worth it. When we gather around the throne with every tribe, tongue, and nation, we will be glad that we remain faithful to the end as we give him praise together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus.
And we thank you that you made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might be your righteousness. We might become righteous before you. Father, I pray for those among us today who are following you, but it's been so burdensome that they might be tempted to turn away, to pursue the things of this world, that they might find comfort in them. Lord, I pray that in your mercy you would keep them near you. Father, I pray for those among us today who don't know you, who've not trusted in you. Father, open their heart. Give them them faith to to hear and respond and walk in obedience towards you. Father, I pray for Chevrolet Baptist that you would keep each one of these faithful to the end. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.